20 minute timer started goal is to update on the past week. Um, I've got three things on my list. Keegan, you've been running the ATG summit. How's that going? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Just introducing coaches to other coaches who've been successful in, in different areas, um, different specializations and kind of humanizing that journey, the opportunity to chat with them, ask questions and hear you know, how they got started. I think a lot of times people kind of assume it's been easy for other people. Once you see that they're doing well, you think, oh, it's always been like that. But uh, realizing that they've been through struggles and they're still going through struggles, they're still looking for the, you know, what the next uh, adventure is going to be or the next challenge. I think that's it's really valuable to coaches to explore that. And we're also going into some of the methods and things that have changed in their thinking, you know, over the time as well, which is cool to, to reflect on. Um, yeah, yours was a lot of fun. I think uh, you changed a bunch of perspectives around just how it all kind of fits together in the framework, uh, I think is giving coaches something simpler to work with. And I mean, they would have loved you to answer questions for the next three hours after that, but it was a, it was a great buzz. Yeah. And we'll definitely go over that, that final knees over toes breakthrough. I mean, for anyone listening or watching, um, I think defining the purpose of something is as important, you know, as anything to what the future is going to be. So with ATG, it's, it's very specific. And that's why all these coaches, that's why we all work together. That's why we all try to make each other better because the purpose of ATG is not a sport. So, you know, CrossFit is a sport and we, within ATG, we love all these different things. We love CrossFit and powerlifting and bodybuilding and strongman and jumping and speed. We love all these things. These things are all sports. Whereas ATG, the purpose is just to improve training. So whatever goal someone's going for, they can have less pain and more ability in that pursuit. So we've stayed, you know, very strong in that mission of we're just trying to improve the quality of training itself, not be a sport. So our theory is the more of us that are working together to improve each other, well, then we get better at giving our clients results rather than competing against one another. So this ATG summit, Keegan got all kinds of legendary speakers from Marcus Philly to uh, Nick Mitchell, who was a guy that just like I was watching Keegan stuff back in the days, you know, one of the only people putting out dedicated knees over toes content back when I didn't know a dang thing about knees over toes. So it's cool to see that come for uh, full circle. How's your training going this week? Yeah, it's been good I'm back home. So I've got the gym and uh, I've been training each day. I'm following a little template at the moment where I'm doing all my ATG work. And then I'm also doing well, I guess there's still the ATG movements, but I've got a little bit more emphasis on like the big, big lifts at the moment. So oh, that's cool. I'm pushing up my behind the neck press and chin up and just keeping everything feeling nice and smooth and, and healthy with the ATG movements uh, around that, um, doing the deep knee bends and uh, deficit deadlift as well. So oh, wow. like a simple little template there, but yeah, I feel like everything's just feeling smooth and good and just being really consistent. So nothing world shattering, but I think it's building towards um, something good. I want to have some good lifts before we, we move in house again. So I don't know mm. what my gym access is going to be. So like I'm making the most of the next two weeks before I don't know whether I'm going to have regular gym access again, or if I'll be back to body weight. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to know how to use loads and how to use body weight. And that's half of uh, if I quickly break down what I think the final knees over toes breakthrough was, it's essentially just a little math equation. So let's start with a figure of two 
And two being mastering your body weight for very high reps can have super powerful effects on healing, but now mastering additional loads on some of these same rehabilitation movements. Like that's essentially how I changed my jumping so much is I took rehabilitation movements that did rehabilitate me, but I didn't then just go back to traditional training. I stayed on the same rehabilitation movements and have now gotten stronger at those movements. So I'm able to jump higher, run faster while getting even more bulletproof. So those are, those are two different sides, healing high rep with body weight versus bulletproofing, knowing how to add additional loads. And within that is even knowing, you know, how to regress below body weight. So, okay. So we have a factor of two, it's not body weight or load. Then we're going to add a factor of three. And this was already, you know, Charles Poliquin laid this out so well many years ago, which is reverse step-ups, knee over toe in the top position, ATG split squats, where your knee doesn't go over your toe until the bottom position, and then full squats, where your knee goes over your toes quite a bit throughout, and particularly in the midpoint, since you're no longer resting, but unlike a split squat, it doesn't go back. If the knee stays strong, like when Tom Platt squats, the knee stays strong. When, you know, Chinese Olympic weightlifter squat, the knee stays strong. The best in the world, the best knees in the world, the knee stays strong the midpoint becomes the heaviest loading. So you have three unique positions that you can load. Now I, I'm definitely the first to treat those with equal importance. And in fact, we do it the other way around, meaning I don't think of the reverse step up in the ATG split squat as accessory for the squat. I think of those as the key foundations. You've touched on this a lot with the short range, long range, the more bulletproof you are, the easier it is to then work that mid range. So we consider the mid range, the optional part, not the other way around. We consider the squat, the optional part. Okay, so now we've got six exercises, right? No, we're adding a final third factor. We have 18 exercises because all three of those points I laid out with body weight or mastering additional load have three unique foot positions. When your foot is flat, it's gonna be best for ankle mobility. There's no question. When your foot is elevated by a slant board, it actually reduces the ankle and knee angles, but increases the load on those VMOs and patellar tendons. And so it, it becomes more development of the knee itself, less of the ankle. And now if we remove that slant board and have to hold the strength ourselves, there's no doubt that now it becomes more development of the actual foot and lower leg strength. So we would consider the heel up, no slant board like the king, but it's only going to do as well as it's built upon the slant and as well as that's built upon having the ankle mobility. So rather than continuing this endless search for which is the best one and you don't need it, no, no. Exclusion is not the answer. I'm going on the principle that inclusion is truth. So now we have mastery of 18 different motions. Three of those are done per leg day. I do two leg days a week. So it actually flows kind of well. I know I'm on a little rant here, but for anyone who wants to track with this, I, I now have three weeks that I do different leg days the entire time. Monday, loaded version A. Thursday, unloaded version B. The next Monday, loaded version C. The next Thursday, unloaded version A. The next Monday, loaded version B, and then the final Thursday, unloaded version C. So I end up getting six different leg days in a three-week span with hips and upper on Tuesday, Friday. So that's the strategy I'm taking to, you know, I already made probably the greatest 20 to 30-year-old jump transformation there's been, but 30 to 40, mark my words, I'm going higher. What do you, what do you think? You going higher? How, how, was, yeah, how was your dunk session? That's a good segue into... It's, I mean, it's too easy. It's like, I used to have to, when I would like, you know, sometimes in warmups, I would try to wear like barefoot shoes on the basketball court. And I felt like I was just destroying my feet. And now I went through the whole session, which included sprints and this and that and the other in barefoot shoes. And 
my feet are so much stronger now. My knees are so much stronger now. I felt like I could have jumped all day. I jumped as high as I've ever jumped. You know, it's not like, it's not like something you can like exactly measure, but the point is like, I haven't been on a wood court in over a year. I've been training mostly with, with body weight, mastering all this ground up stuff. And you can feel the difference. You can go then apply what you're trying to with your body so much easier. So I'm going to keep doing in my schedule. I'm able to do jump sessions every other week. And I actually, I vlogged the session. It was like 11 minutes where I just broke down what I did warm up. You know, I, I just broke down everything I did. So anyone who wants to do like the exact jump session I'm doing in a nutshell, I did zero. So I did the eight steps of zero. And then I think you and I can kind of talk about this. So you have zero and now let's say you have sport. So for you, think about rugby, right? Think about traditional rugby warmups. Fuck man. You could go through your zero routine. You know how much time there is before games and practices and people spend 20, 30, 45 minutes. You can go through zero in about 12 minutes once you've really been through it and it's easy for you. So now you're putting money in the bank on these things, having elite mobility, joint protection, literally building from the ground up. Cause really the stuff that goes to failure is your tibialis and soleus and these kind of areas. So I did that first. Now here's maximal jumping. What's in between. This is what I came up with. Move your body as fast as you can backwards. Okay. So if you're, imagine if you're rehabilitating a rugby player, I don't want a rugby player or anyone sprinting forwards unless they can exert maximally backwards without pain. Right. So I go as fast as I can backwards. Then I immediately go as fast as I can forwards. But for a rehabilitating athlete, you just do another set backwards. You do two sets backwards. Now, if you can't sprint maximally backwards and maximally forwards, you shouldn't be jumping because jumping has to take that force and then transition it upwards. You shouldn't jump if you can't sprint forwards, but it doesn't end there because in sport and even with high intensity jumping, there's some pretty intense, like twisting factors, torques into the knee. So then I went with my hands below my knees, meaning not standing up tall because that's not a helpful athletic position. You can't defend like in basketball, unless you're, if your hand's not below your knee, you can't deflect the ball. You, you let the opponent just walk all over you. I'm sure in rugby, if your hands are above your knees, people are going to run over you. Is that right? You're definitely going to yeah keep them down for the tackling. Exactly. So to make a strict sideways sprint, the feet can't cross and the hands have to be below the knees. So that's, a, that's all this. Go as fast as you can backwards, fast as you can forwards, as fast as you can sideways, fast as you can the other side, then take a minute break. Do it again, two minute break. Do it again, three minute break. Do it again. So four sets of those four drills, four sets of four directions, increasing the breaks. Cause you know, when you do like sprint intervals, you get like, you get a little bit more winded each time. You know what I mean? But by the end of that, I was like, so ready to jump. You know what I mean? So then I, then I took actually a four minute break after the last set. That's 10 minutes of rest. And it doesn't take more than 30 seconds to do each drill. And it's only four times. So we're talking 12 minutes to go through zero, 12 minutes to go through that. So in 24 minutes, I'm ready to run through a brick roll. I'm ready to jump as high as I possibly can. And I've already put actual productive training stimulus into things before I even do my first jump. Then yeah. I did, then I did 20 jumps as high as I could is so it's a pretty simple recipe, go through zero, four directions, four sets, as fast as I can move the body backwards, forward, sideways, sideways, and then move the body as high as I can 20 times, 10 off a one foot jump, 10 off a two foot jump. So that, that was the session. And I mean, I already, already can't. We'll go into like a lot more precise details on what I'm thinking about when I'm jumping in this net, but I feel like that sequence could be used for a baseball player, a rugby player, a soccer player. You know what I mean? In my warm up, I'm doing L sit. I'm doing, you know, like I'm doing from tibialis raises to failure to L sit. Like I'm putting, I'm literally getting like a productive workout 
so that even by going through it and jumping, I actually got like a, a killer, you know, workout to get more bulletproof. Anyways, it's how many times did you warm up as an athlete? You know, a thousand times. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I, I think I have like, um, you know, I, I think I have like, you know, built up rage from how much warm up time I wasted that I could have been becoming a better athlete and a more protected athlete in that warm up time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, you know, it's important to look at what the cumulative effect is. Like I designed warm-ups with the rugby teams where there was a lot of skill stuff that I thought was going to have a long-term impact on whether we won or not, because I only had like six minutes with the guys before they were going to do other stuff. I was like, what can I do in the six minutes that's actually going to help us to win? And for rugby, oftentimes the the handling ability is something that they don't really work that much within the team session. So we had stuff around that as well as like trying to hit mobility positions. Um, I was really lucky that one of the other coaches, like the physiotherapist actually did a lot of stuff like postural gait type stuff. It wasn't ATG, but it was probably like as close as you could get to ATG, which I think covered a lot of the gaps that I had with like a traditional strength training program. And then, you know, I had kind of some Edo influence, I had like the Charles and Westside influence. And then I had some Edo influence, skill work. And, um, and I think he really covered some of that, like running postural, like really making sure like the Tibbs and calf Achilles. Um, and I, you know, that there was a lot of work around lockout. So I think we were really lucky. I think those athletes like had a lot more, of, of all the things that we would give them than probably the other teams. And, you know, we had really low injury rates and, and big success, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about though, how I could have incorporated that into the field, you know, it was done at a different time and it wasn't me, but they were kind of getting it, which is, I guess the, the bottom line. And, you know, we did well with it. Yeah. I mean, physiotherapy is pushing in the right direction. Powerlifting. Olympic lifting are pushing in the right direction. When you realize that the two can be married together, then you can just get so much more engineered in your approach and your result. You know what I mean? So if you, you know, so it, it, that's kind of what ATG is. We don't do, we don't do drills. You know what I mean? We do exercises to muscular challenge failure. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. We do strength training just in ways that hasn't been done as like a consistent strength training process. So you know, absurd results there, obviously to go from never grabbing the rim, even once reaching 20 to now, this is my first dunk session, in my thirties and really actually legitimately putting pressure on myself to be able to jump higher by the time I'm 40. You know what I mean? This, this just requires me to get even more precise. And I think that's why this advanced zero program is going to allow me to get like pretty absurdly consistent and, and such good for the tissue kind of gains, because I have two leg days a week, one's body weight, one's loaded. You know what I mean? And, and so it's like, it, it's hitting every, I'm still doing all eight steps from the ground up. So I'm doing what exercise am I doing to failure the most? I'm still doing five sets using the tib bar now, because that's an option one day and five sets of 10 per leg, single leg on the body weight day. So like, I'm still getting 10 sets of tibs to failure every week. You know what I mean? And, and building on up. And if we think- What sort of weight are you, uh, um, sorry? On the, on the tip bar. I'm sticking with 20% body weight. I don't want yeah. anyone to, I don't want anyone to try this, but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm isometrically like holding a leg extension and then yeah. doing, does that make, so like I'm not yeah, scooted yeah. back, yeah. but again, I'm just, I'm just playing with that. Playing I'm also 
rather than having those 10 reps that I'm doing are as hard as 20 reps. If I rushed, meaning like I'm doing 10 reps per set, but I'm, I'm like milking the stretch position. You know what I mean? I'm like yep. flexing the top. Like I'm really dominating each rep and it's five. The reps are like any, it tells you which set you go to failure. And on, in this case, all the sets of tips are to failure. So many of the reps I'm getting 11, 12, 13 reps. Like you, you simply go until you yep. go until it taps out. I was merely having fun with, you know, there's so much other quad work that even if it's a shitty stimulus, it's, it's going to even itself out. I'm just, you know, just having fun with that. But, yeah. but, but ultimately, yes, I'm doing five sets of at least 10, you know, to failure with 20% of my body weight on the tip bar. And I mean, think about this. Uh, let's say an average athlete has spent 10 years trying to run faster and jump higher 10 years doing traditional plyometrics, 10 years doing traditional compound lifts and stuff like that. 10 years, never taking the tibialis to utter failure. Okay. Let's say you get results in a year. I mean, you probably have 10 years to feel even better. You know what I mean? And I'm not just talking about the tibialis. I'm talking about all these different areas, the tibialis and the soleus, because most athletes have never taken the soleus to failure either. Most athletes haven't done reverse step-ups properly or ATG split squats properly, or these really specific squats we do, or maybe they've done some Nordic six weeks out of the year or this or that, not once a week, Nordic once a week short range knee flexion year round, you know? So I, I just look at it that like, look how many years you've trained. You probably have that many years, you know, to make some pretty cool gains minimally. So I'm still, people look at my story, but I'm still a newbie. You know what I mean? I've still spent more time training everything else to failure, but my knees and below not training my hip. How much faster am I going to get now taking my hip flexors to failure? You know, what is it? Um, my mind's going blank. Four sets, four sets twice a week. I'm taking my hip flexors to failure once a week with the monkey foot, four sets of at least 20 reps to, you know, to tap out the other day, four sets of gar hammer raise, which actually kind of takes your abs and hip flexors eccentrically, you know, to failure. So that's, that's kind of my point is I'm still a newbie in it. So I'm optimistic as heck. If someone's already 40 now, I don't know where you're going to be when you're 50. I don't know. Everyone has a different journey, but I'm, I'm living the journey to go from 30 and I, I want to make my by the time I'm 40, I want to look back at my 30 year old self and think that I was a pathetic athlete. Yeah, it's a, it's a good goal. And it's interesting to think about how much this could impact like masters athletes and, you know, people reversing the aging process, like a 60 year old who becomes a lot more athletic by the time they're 70, like that, that kind of stuff yeah. is going to be really interesting to we see got as well. These nine year olds who want to run. It's the same thing. He's yeah. more athletic yeah. at 90 than at 80. It is, yeah. you know, we have the extremes really tell us longevity. a lot, you know, you know, those yeah. at the extremes, like they're going to, they're losing range of motion. They're losing muscle mass. They're losing, you know, the, the rate of firing of the muscles and to show how trainable that is and how much change can be made. I think some of the best case studies are actually going to be with, with some of those um, elderly athletes where it's just so night and day running from running like a 25 second, hundred meters to running a, you know, 17 second, hundred meters, like is just going to be yeah. phenomenal. See, <laughs> There's that's, such a, there's a bigger range for it. So that really puts the method to the test where if they were training traditionally, they're doing some squats, they're doing some deadlifts, they're doing some chin-ups and then they do this stuff. Like, I think you, I think where you can see, like, you'll see really what, what actually comes from the system. It's true. When the fragile and the elderly are getting less fragile and more yeah. useful, you know, you're onto something. And, With the tip bar, are, yeah. I was just going to say the, the tip bar, like you've said before, like that, the guys who can dunk really well, like they tend to be like naturally, like they really crush these exercises. 
is it always the case or almost like, is it consistently the case that guys with pain have weak tibs as well? And that was our, that was our 20 minutes. So we'll go over this and we'll go over closing stuff. It, okay. It's like this. And I just happened to do a video where I actually, I did a video and article where I describe what jumpers knee is. So you're putting all this force in. So if the jumping doesn't break you down, these freak jumpers have, they're ridiculously strong with their knees over their toes and their tibialis and stuff. Connor Barth was repping the Patrick step up stronger than me and stronger tibs naturally without any training, except only on his right leg, not his left leg, because his right leg was the one that goes knee over toes. The left leg doesn't on a right left plant. And guess which knee struggled was the left one. So really you have with, with jumper's knee, it's just a formula of how much knee ability do you have versus how much force think a six-year-old doesn't have jumper's knee because a six-year-old doesn't have enough power within his body to even give himself jumper's knee. You see what I mean? So how mm -hmm. much force is going in into your knees and ankles versus, you know, how often, so how much force, how often, how many times. So there's no infinite of knee bulletproofing, nor is there infinite of jumping. There's no sport where you jump 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You see what I mean? So my theory is jumper's knee. It definitely, to me, jumper's knee doesn't have to exist because the only person who couldn't benefit from what we're talking about would be someone with paralysis in an area, you know, who can't even walk or something like that. Anyone who can walk can do this. So if you have jumper's knee, you have no excuse to have jumper's knee. Jumper's knee is in your control because if you can even jump, that means you can do all these exercises and you can approximate the exact angles of your jumper's knee from your tibialis to your knees over your toes. In fact, one foot jumping, two foot jumping in the landing relate to all three of our different step-ups. So, so, you know, to kind of answer that question, it's relative to how much force the individual has, how many times they jump and how often they jump and then how imbalanced are they? Because just because one knee is strong on an exercise, but if the other knee, if you can't do your body weight without pain, no wonder you have pain in that knee. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, pain-free ability is on one side and then all the other factors are on the other side of an onslaught against how much, you know, pain-free ability do you have? And then my, my closing statement is fairly similar. Longevity is a triangle. So one thing I noticed with Onyx, who's 11 months old is like his feet and ankles and knees and stuff. Like an adult would be screaming to be in the positions that he's in every day. And he's totally comfortable because his mobility is that high, but he can't jump. You know what I mean? So the strength is like our potency. And as we get older from being a kid, we get stronger. So when we're younger, we're not even strong enough to injure ourselves. Now, as we get the strength, that's the potency. But everyone in strength training history basically gets more built from the top down than they should be because a tib bar wasn't even being made. You know, tib bar was fell out of existence, was extinct, you know, not to mention soleus and, and all these other things. So, so with, with, with longevity, then as you get older, you see the stiffness, right? Such, such lack of mobility and loss of strength and a lifetime of top down. So training for longevity is just a triangle of strength through mobility built from the ground up. That's ATG. You know what I mean? But that's mm -hmm. also how you fight gravity better. That's also how you resist injury better. That's how you make a kid so he doesn't wind up effed up like so many of us were. You know what I mean? So it's an interesting triangle there that you can take everything that you lose as you age and you can just, you can just train according to that and put, you know, 
longevity into your own hands in terms of how effective your training is, right? Again, there's no absolutes. We don't have a solution to live forever. You know, uh, we haven't seen any of the 90 year olds dunking yet, you know? Um, so it's not, that's not the case, but it only takes a little bit of chronic pain, a few surgeries, stuff like that for your doctor to then tell you, you can't even, you know, I was already advised, you know, it's not in your best interest to play. You shouldn't play basketball anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. By 18. So it's like, that's enough to, that was enough to make me depressed. You know, I wasn't asked, I wasn't asking to live forever, you know, in order to be happy. I wasn't asking to jump up and land on the rim with two feet, you know, in order to be happy. So it's the gains are going to be relative, but at least now training is, you know, you said it one time, maybe you can summarize that as your closing statement, but like the purpose of ATG is like training engineered, you know, for human bulletproofing, something like that. Yeah. I think that it's the first system that I've seen that follows the natural engineering of the human body. That's what it's in harmony with nature. And I think looking at babies versus elderly is a great way to reverse engineer. What do we need? You know, we need to get back to more of those abilities. We're not going to get back to where Onyx is in terms of mobility, but we can get back to where a five-year-old is or a 10-year-old is. And we know that those, you know, kids can just jump off the table first thing in the morning, cold. No, they don't think about stretching. They don't think about anything that they need to do. And yeah, they don't have the muscle mass. So it becomes more of a challenge. But yeah, the more we can, it, nature gives us the clues and the blueprints. Like we don't have to, there's, there's yep. no, there's, there's almost nothing to debate about. It's like, that's what the body can do. That's pain-free. And then this is like old and someone who can't run away from a lion. And so, you know, the closer you get to that, obviously the closer in another, you know, in a more uh, dog eat dog kind of world, you know, it's closer to death, right? So how, how much can we hold on to these abilities that we're, we're born to have? Like, that's, that's what I love about what people are experiencing with ATG. And yeah, it's different. It's different logic, but it's hard to argue yeah. against, I think. Yeah. Life's hard, but life is sure as heck easier for me now that I can go to a court and be jumping my ass off and dunking like it's a cupcake when, you know, I reached my twenties, having never grabbed the rim thinking I probably shouldn't ever even try, you know? So that's a, it's, that's a better life. Um, you were well, flying. Yeah. <laughs> thanks bro. Only going to go up from here. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fun. Thanks to, thanks to all the coaches who are in there. I feel like that's why we're making such fast and smooth progress and, and, you know, handling every weak link that there's been in the system is because of, you know, we have over 300 coaches in there in that chat helping each other. So big credit to the coaches, big credit to Keegan for putting it together. There's zero chance I ever would have tried to do that and put together, you know, ATG for coaches. So teamwork makes the dream work. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the presentation as well. Definitely.